When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I, I was having visions of dolphins and um, GMCs and mountains, clear mountains and perfect skies. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name, where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book, as well as some artists I love and respect. I have a couple of songs that I always refer to as the perfect pop songs. Uh, Beautiful Day from U2, Dear God by XTC, Age of Consent by New Order, and Kite by Nick Hayward. Nick was a founding member of the early 80s band Haircut 100, who had hits with classics like Favorite Shirts and Love Plus One. He went solo in 1982 and went on to release several solo albums. Kite was the first single off his 1993 record, From Sunday to Monday, which unexpectedly became a pretty big hit in the States, reaching number four on Billboard's Hot Modern Rock Tracks chart. It has always been a favorite song of mine, and I was happy when Nick chose to talk about how that song taught him a lesson in letting go. Kite was a, it turned into a pivotal song, and a pivotal moment, uh, totally unexpected. I wasn't really prepared for it. I was recording an album. I'd signed to Sony Records and this was, this was big. You know, I had to be in the recording studio and come up with hits. And I'd never been in that situation before, not consciously. Uh, before it was just a matter of recording songs, and if they turned out to be hits, fine, but you didn't actually sit down to write a hit. You just did your best. But this seemed to be different with, with Sony. There was more pressure. This was the 90s. I was older. I'd hit my 30s. So it was. I was in a 16-track studio, demo studio, where I had recorded before or most of my demos, but here was it was different. So I was sat in a basement in Fulham, in Shoreld's Road, uh, listening to the radio and hearing Madonna or whatever was around at the time, a beautifully crafted pop songs that sounded a million dollars. And I was in this 16 track trying to come up with a hit and it, it felt daunting. So there I was recording more and Rob Stringer, who was the then head of A&R, he would come down to the studio and kind of go, yeah. And he'd known my back catalogue and he was, you know, he'd been into Haircut 100 and he'd kind of grown up with the song. So he knew when I was being, when I was coasting and when I was just kind of trying too hard or whatever it was. But, you know, part of the creative process there was probably to not get involved too much, you know. So he would just sort of like yeah, be encouraging, but also kind of, okay. 
but there wasn't anything, uh, there wasn't hits. It was a great album, but there wasn't just those those hits. And I, I don't think I'd ever been in this situation where I was, had to, the album was sort of done and I needed to have a hit. And uh, what I was turning up seemed to get worse and worse, you know, songs that were just very consciously written and never as creative of the, as the ones that are just fly out from nowhere land. You know, the ones where you're not trying, where you're thinking about something else even. Or you may be, well, they're definitely not. It's like trying to write a song when you're, a, a song about depression when you're not, when you're depressed. Best write it on reflection. And it just so happens to be a song about depression. But otherwise, if it's too conscious, the lyrics get really literal. And uh, I didn't know this at the time, of course. I was just in there struggling and struggling and struggling and uh it got to this this moment where it was the end of the day and rob had been and gone and it was ian shaw and i and he was recording and it was a, it was a moment and i said you know ian i'm so exhausted from this can you just give me a beat and i'll go in the studio and just record something i like I actually, I'm just going to play my favorite chords because I'm so fed up with this. I just want to have fun. And I walked into the studio. He just gave me a boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba. And I played. I thought, you know, I'll put my capo on because it makes things interesting. So I played an A minor to C to G to D, which are my favorite chords. They kind of, they always remind me of, Heart on My Sleeve by Gallagher and Lyle. And if you play them kind of uh, so I put the capo up a tone and I just started playing and I thought, oh, I love this. This is nice. And and I went and listened to it and I said, oh, that's lovely. And I was, I was in play mode. I was just playing with it. I had no idea. And I don't normally write songs this way at all. They're normally written on an acoustic and singing at the same time like a songwriter. You know, you sing and then the chords inspire a lyric and then you say a lyric and then, you know, you get to the sort of chorus bit and you go major and suddenly it's like, oh, I'm singing, take that situation and put it right. Oh, I don't know why I'm singing that. So I'm in there and I went, you know, I said, oh, I'll put an acoustic, I'll overdub an acoustic over that here. Oh, that sounds nice. And I thought, oh, that would be nice on the mandolin, I'm sure. And so I said, oh, can you stick that on a cassette? And I put it on in the car and I thought, oh, I love this. This is lovely. Uh, got home and I, I looked through my little black book that was lying in my little studio room that just had ideas. Uh, and there was a, an idea written down uh, when I was sitting on a barge. In fact, it was this barge belonged to Pete Townsend from The Who. It was on a, in a studio and uh, it was kind of like just up from a demo studio. And I remember watching TV there once and this report came on in the news about in Istanbul, I think it was, in Turkey, if mothers are arrested for drug smuggling, the children go into the to prison with them. And I think there was a, a kid who's gone in with his mum and I think his mum had passed or something. But anyway, he, in, the, in the prison yard, he just used to fly this kite. Uh, as a sign of freedom and uh, it was just I loved that and so I just wrote down you know 
don't let them shoot your kite down and father father dear you know not having a father and life's like that was from reader's digest and it's just a mishmash of words uh, i took that book to the studio and the first thing i did was just walked in and sang over the my favorite chords and it just sang itself it was like life's like that delicious with claws you never get the truth just promises galore jewel at the heart and i thought wow it all fits and oh Oh, this is the chorus bit coming up here. OK. Oh, oh, mother dear. Don't let them shoot your kite. And uh, it worked. It just I think it was one take vocal. I think the only line that I didn't have was another year came glorious sun and the trumpets play line, which just popped in at the end. And it was interesting because I fought somehow for this to be sparse, which I hadn't done. Normally it's a I enjoy the process of baking something and decorating something and making it really perfectly finished, you know, and there it is, cherry on the top, that's it, done. But this, it was kind of, I just wanted it to be this metronomic beat. And I think I we recorded Frank, who played cello on it, who was doing cello on the album. And he just put in a little like, dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know if that's actually in, in the right key, but it was just a little line and a few other things, and it was pretty much there. And I thought, I'm not going to play this for Rob because obviously it's not a hit, but I'll I just like it. And in that in that moment, you know, Rob did come down the, he loved it, <laughs> and uh, that was the kind of moment in in learning the lesson of. You know, you get what you want when you don't try to get what you want and in the process of letting go. So I got a glimpse of letting go at that moment. It wasn't actually until 1998, April the 30th, I remember it very well, that the process in the process of letting go really hit home. It hit me in my kitchen early in the morning when I'd really, really tried. I mean, I, I was so trying so hard, you know, really hard. I, I tried with my marriage. I tried with record companies. And in that uh, in that moment, the marriage had ended. A uh, new relationship had ended. The record deal had gone. The publishing deal had gone. Everything had gone. And I was in the kitchen in a little terrace cottage across the road from a shop which sold sweets <laughs> and uh and i used to get and tea bags they used to sell tea bags as well so i was covered for, for breakfast and uh i was there and i was pitiful you know i was 37 and i'd why wasn't it going right? Everything seemed to have gone wrong. It was a series of wrong decisions, it looked like. Uh, I was feeling really sorry for myself, really, really sorry. And I had a list of people that I was angry with, you know, that I, I was blaming. So I was in the flame of pity and blame and martyrdom and all the negative stuff. And up until that point, everything had been consciously, you know, things had come easy, but then they'd just... You know, it, through the process of trying hard, 
it's almost repulsive. It's like that aftershave, that fragrance, you know, desperate, not the best fragrance to wear. You know, it might smell good initially, but it's very, it's off-putting, really off-putting. So I started to write on the piece of paper I was writing down, you know, my anger, really, because that, that's what I used to do. And sometimes it would come out as lyrics and because I have a process of writing poems to to get through anger. You know, when the when this this war, this latest war in Ukraine kicked off, I was writing poems like crazy, you know sarcastic poems sort of john lennon style poems of not really poems just raw, raw kind of anger and you know through some kind of strange cleverness that you think is is just sarcasm really raw sarcasm and in the underneath all this stuff was just i think i saw take responsibility and and stuff and i was just kind of i had this moment where it was like a thunderbolt not a literal thunderbolt but it felt like a thunderbolt of lightning hit me completely. And I got a severe pain all the way through my body. And I fell back onto the kitchen floor. Sounds dramatic, but it was just pain, raw pain, all the way down my back. And I felt like I was split in two. And I was lying on the floor. I had no idea how long it was. It's just... It just seemed to be, I just seemed to be lying there listening to the bird song, thinking, not thinking about anything really. I was just like lying there, really comfortable, just looking up at the cupboards. And it felt like time had stopped. There was no, no such thing anymore. And there, I didn't really think. And it was very strange, but beautiful and blissful. And I did a checklist of the people that I was angry with and I wasn't. In fact, I remember thinking they are lovely. <laughs> it was like, it's very strange. I thought, oh, a kind of mental checklist of going through people and just thought they are just doing what they are doing. And <laughs> I thought this is so, this is so, well, I just thought blissful, but at the time it's, it was just odd, really odd. I finally got up and I started to write and I spent the whole morning writing and writing. And at first it was really small and in capitals because it really big capitals at first. And then it started to lean to one side, to the right side, and then it started to flow. And then the tears started to flow and I started crying. And I had no idea why I was crying. Uh, in hindsight, I would say it was the, t the pity, the self-pity and all the anger and all the martyrdom and just pouring out really uh, that was that was there and was just releasing because it felt like tears of joy um, and I was crying and enjoying crying and and just flowing and writing and writing anything and then the poems started to fly out pretty soon uh, really easily. Uh, with with words in context that I'd never really thought about. Like I remember one about using the word subcutaneous and I had to look it up in the dictionary what it meant. But it was in perfect context about being under the skin. I thought, that's strange. Wow, it's like I, I didn't know what, what was going on. Uh, <laughs> and then I had to go out and I popped across the shop and to get some tea bags or milk 
or something. And uh, I thought that the guy across the road had happened to him too. So I was kind of like checking and talking to him to see if this had gone in, like a close encounters kind of moment. Uh, but it didn't seem, he just seemed, you know, his usual happy self. And so I went back and then I, I remember the, a plumber came round and uh, came round to unblock my sink, which was quite symbolic, really. <laughs> and uh, he walked in and we had this conversation about the universe, which I'd never done before, you know. It was a beautiful, long conversation that I had with the plumber. I'd love to meet him now. It was just like, we were both a bit taken back with our conversation because it wasn't your normal kind of plumber conversation. It went on for about an hour and uh, it was great. And then he went and I thought, well, this is, this is, this is amazing. I wonder what on earth happened. And I thought, I wonder if there's any books or anything, you know, so I, I couldn't, I went to the, to Kingston because I was living near Kingston in a place called Surbiton. And I went to the bookshop and there was nothing, nothing that I could find. There was a shelf that had, that, that had sort of, there was a book. One day my soul opened up or something. I thought, oh, that's pretty, that's, I don't feel like, there's no kind of connection with soul. Or I didn't feel like this was anything religious at all in any kind of way. It wasn't connected. This was, I mean, I, I was having visions of dolphins and um, Aegean seas and mountains, clear mountains and perfect skies and uh, beautiful, beautiful wild landscapes. And and then just crying at how beautiful they were, and I, it was spring as well, and I was the, the clouds seemed to float by easily, and the, the the blue was more turquoise. Everything was more vibrant. Everything was vibrant, and I couldn't stop crying at people. Somebody would say something, I'd find it incredibly moving, and it might have just been something like turn right there, but it, everything had meaning uh, all of a sudden, and. I was walking around in this state of, of bliss. I loved driving and I loved being in Kingston, which I'd never done. I'd always not liked going into town. Um, and here I was walking around Kingston shopping centre, kind of smiling at people and and just loving a shopping centre <laughs> deeply. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is going to go, obviously. If this won't be here tomorrow, this is just something that's just happened. And, and I, I didn't think about my the career that had ended and the no record deal and the no marriage and the no thing. I just remember thinking it is it is kind of just happened. OK, uh, didn't even think about it, really. And if I did, I'd probably just cry a bit. So it was just another kind of lovely way, you know, thinking it was some kind of like kind little puppy at the, at the shop um, that needed its head patting or something or its tummy stroked. Uh, which was so strange to me because it had gone from it had gone from wanting to rip people's heads off only hours before and hating people to it wasn't from hate to love it was just kind of from this just new love was born I was going with it I was swimming along with it allowing it to happen and just in, enjoying it but didn't think it would be there the next day and I went to sleep in this blissful state in a bed that I I disliked because I was I was on my own and I'd always I'd, I'd feared being on my own and here I was on my own I'd always feared loneliness but now it was solitude and it was the most beautiful solitude wondrous solitude and I fell asleep and I woke up six o'clock on the dot bang and there it was it was just right there again I thought it hasn't gone it's still here it is still here wow 
I didn't know what on earth to do with it, though. It was just flying. So I feel like Kite was a glimpse of it, which was this timeless realm, and it's still here. You know, I can have awful things happen, but it, it is always like the deep peace that is in there, in here, that lies within. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you to Nick Hayward for sharing this story. I've put a link to the video for Kite in the show notes so you can hear the song in its entirety. A reminder that you can also buy my book, Live Through That, on 90s Artists and get 15% off using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link that's also there on the show notes. In addition, my earlier book, 80s Redux, is available wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.